Good morning, Forest Heights Baptist Church. I'd like to welcome everyone to our worship service this morning. We're going to begin with a video for our Lottie Moon Christmas offering. So, as you probably noticed, you didn't get to see his face, um, and that's because South Asia is one of the level three security areas, um, so we don't even get to know uh, where, like, which particular country uh, this missionary is working in, um, because of the safety of the missionary as well as the safety of the, the people that he works with. Um, yeah, a lot of the level three areas are in um, Asia, uh, South Asia, the Middle East, um, particularly working with uh, Muslims um, because of the danger. Um, just encourage you to pray a little, just as you're thinking, just pray a little extra hard for those workers because it is, it is a little disheartening sometimes when you, um, you're trying to, to go and, and interact with those cultures and those people who who've been taught um, just so differently uh, uh, than what the truth actually is. Um, so in case you don't know the verse that he was talking about in Revelation, which I think I've read to you before, but I'm going to read it again. Um, it's uh, in Revelation 7, verses 9 and 10. It's, uh, after this I looked, and behold, a great multitude from uh, that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne, um, before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Which is strikingly similar to something in Daniel, which I've really tried very, very hard to wait for Brother Mike to get to this passage. Um, but, <clears throat> sorry. Um, I think we're going to get to it tonight, so preview. Um, so this is in chapter 7 of Daniel, um, when it, he says, I saw the night visions, and behold, the clouds of heaven. 
there came one like a son of man, and he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before man, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples and nations and languages should serve him. And his dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom is one that shall not be destroyed. And I just love that, um, just how similar the, the notions of, of this uh, section in Daniel and the section in Revelation. Um, I just think it's so great that we, we get to see, you know, um, the threads throughout the entire Bible that, and the assurance that the, from every language and every tribe, you know, people are going to be there in heaven worshiping with us, which means that we've got a lot of work to do as Christians, as Southern Baptists. Um, there are so many unreached people groups, so many people, countries that, that don't know Jesus. And so um, as we continue to raise money, um, the missionaries on the, out in the field are, are, are working to reach those, but there's just so much that needs to still be done. Um, so just continue to pray for that and, and, and listen to, to God working in your heart um, through this time. Um, currently, we are up to uh, just over $2,900. Um, so that's super awesome. Good job, everybody. Um, it's not quite 9000 but we're on our way. So uh, keep giving, keep praying, and I just uh, thank you for... Uh, what you've given already. As we continue our service this morning, let's all stand as we sing, Angels We Have Heard on High.
service this morning. Let's all stand as we sing, My Worth is Not in What I Own. Mm -hmm. 
Okay, uh, I'd like for you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 23. We're going to be looking at verses 37 through 39. As you're turning in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 23, we're coming to the close of this gospel. Soon Christ will be crucified but he's speaking to the Pharisees and the scribes. He's been speaking to them, and, and the disciples heard this. Some of the crowd heard it. He says, but woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, back in 13. Verse 13, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you shut off the kingdom of heaven from men. Then in verse 15, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you travel about on sea and land to make one proselyte. And then in verse 16, Woe to you blind guides who say, Whoever swears by the temple that is nothing, but whoever swears by the gold of the temple is obligated. In other words, your word, you can say it's okay to lie one time and not the other. And then he he moves on, he says in verse 23, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier provisions of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. All these outward things, but your inward heart's not there. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup of the dish, but inside your full of robbery and self-indulgence. In other words, all about you. You taking advantage of other people and, and you getting the best out of it. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, in verse 27, you hypocrites, for you're like whitewashed tombs, which on the outside appear beautiful, but on the inside they are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanliness. 
What a time, as we talked about last week, what a time to say this and present it to them because they were having the wonderful feast there and Passover feast and, and what was uh, what had they been doing? Cleaning up the town, especially the tombs so that people wouldn't touch them, so that they wouldn't be defiled where they could uh, not uh, perform in, in the Passover and take part in it. And so everything was white on the outside and looked glissary, but on the inside, full of dead men's bones. In other words, you were empty. You're not alive in the Lord. And he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you build tombs of the prophets and and adorn the monuments of the righteous. In other words, you're talking like you didn't have anything to do with it. What are you doing now? Basically, is what he's saying. Here I am, not only a prophet, but I am a priest. Not only a priest, but I am the Son of God. I am the one, the Messiah, who you've been looking for. And you don't even see it. You're about to crucify me. And he says... If you had been living in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partners with them, you say, the shedding of blood. <laughs> Consequently, you bear witness against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets because you're going to be guilty of crucifying the Lord. So then he comes to all of this and, and he concludes his sermon or his uh, message there, his warnings of woe. And he's very strong, and you'd say, boy, he's, he's being very judgmental. He's being very angry, it seems like. Well, we should be angry at sin. We should be upset with sin. And how it entangles, we allow it to entangle us and even destroy us. We should take it seriously. And he was letting them know, but he is a God of compassion. And this is what we'll see uh, with the warnings, uh, concluding of the warnings that follow in these verses. Jesus' lament over Jerusalem. He says in verse 37, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her, how often I wanted to gather your children together. The way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings and you were unwilling. Behold, your house is being left to you desolate. For I say to you, from now on, you shall not see me until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now the next two chapters are going to be prophetic chapters of the coming again of the Lord, the end times. And so he kind of springboards it right here with that last statement. Of his coming again. So let's go to the Lord in prayer as we look at this passage together. Father, I just want to thank you for your love and your grace, but I also want to thank you for you showing us the seriousness of, of our sin and especially hypocrisy and, and the sin of uh, rejecting you. And, and I just pray that we will see how serious it is before you and your heart and Lord, it will become that way upon our minds and our hearts also. In Jesus' name, amen. It, you know, it's been said, great lovers are great weepers. I weep all the time, don't I, honey? No, I'm just <laughs> Jeremiah was considered what? A weeping prophet. He was a lover. But I want to share with you what I mean by that. This was because he mourned over his countrymen. This was because he worked hard at preaching and praying to his countrymen for their repentance. And because of his great love and his work, in preparing himself and sharing the gospel with them or the good news because of his great love for them and for God whom they were turning from he was considered the weeping prophet he had a concern for them 
Now, may I ask today, how many of us weep over any lost person? How many of us weep over the condition of the church? How many of us weep over those who are falling away? How many of us care that much? Are we truly great lovers? Lovers of God and lovers of others. Paul expressed much the same thing in Romans where he said, I am telling the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing grief in my heart. Now this is how we know it. Not only was he out preaching, not only was he willing to give his life for them, he, he says in here, for I could wish that myself were crucified or cursed, separated from Christ for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh. In other words, I wish that I was a curse. Killed, taken away, whatever, for them. The source of these sentiments by both men, Jeremiah and, and Paul, express great love for Christ and for his chosen people, Israel. Our Lord had great sentiments for Israel. He was a lover of men. And may I say, don't, don't you hate it when you have to clarify just a, a phrase like that, lover of men? I'm not talking about in any way the way that the culture would say it. My goodness. That is so ridiculous. Lover of men is lover of mankind. In other words, what I'm saying here is that he preached, he gave his life, he performed miracles and gave warnings to help open the eyes of Israel to the truth. He did everything he could. Jesus sobbed over the city of Jerusalem at his triumphant entry, didn't he? In Luke 19, the warnings here to the scribes and the Pharisees and the disciples and the crowds listening to this. Here we see that the warnings come to an end. It's finished. He's fixing to go to the cross. He said what he needed to say. The woes upon the scribes and the Pharisees, they are completed. Now the son with great intensity of feeling yearns over this ancient city, Jerusalem, which seems to have turned its mind and heart from Yahweh God. Now the people hear the solemn words of abandonment. Behold, your house is being left to you desolate, in verse 38. Israel faces a lengthy disciplinary, in their, uh, disciplinary time, or period, at the end of which she shall cry out when Yahweh comes at his second advent. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord in verse 39. So let's look, first of all, let's go back and look at the character of Jerusalem at this time. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her, in verse 37. Here are the Lord's feelings. They're expressed here. The statement it really reveals tenderness and a brokenheartedness. They remind one of David's words. You remember when he lost his son Absalom, the grief of him? He said, oh, my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, weeping. I mean, his heart was broken. 
Would God I had died for you. Doesn't that sound like Paul? Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. Could you imagine losing your son like that? Even if he's rebelled against you, there's a deep love and and concern for that person, a tenderness in your heart for that person. And here Jesus says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. And it was a, a form of direct address there, showing his great emotion for Jerusalem. The re- repetition of the name lets us know the, uh, the uh, deep emotion and, and the deep uh, pathos that, he, uh, that was expressed here in this situation. This is similar to the word used when Christ addressed the Apostle Paul. You remember on the Damascus Road what he said? Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? He was killing the church, having the church uh, removed from this earth by persecuting them, having them executed. But he didn't say the church, why? Because the church was his body. The church is his body, the body of Christ. He says, why do you persecute me? Mournfully, rather than just accusing, is the emphasis here of Jesus. Jesus depicts their history as one of murder and violence. But yet, tenderness breaks into his stern judgment here. The Lord did not overlook. Now, may I say, as we do, we think that we have to overlook sin. He did not overlook sin in his tenderness. He did not wash it away. Let's just accept them the way that they are. No. Let's just accept them for what they're doing. No. He had the woes. He lets them know their stern judgment as far as their sin If we are to repent and if we're to be delivered and if we're to be brought back into fellowship with the Lord or if we're to come to know Him, there's got to be repentance, true repentance, brokenheartedness. And if we keep on whitewashing sin and making it lighter and lighter and easier and easier to perform and acceptable, At the same time, then there will not be the conviction that is needed to break our hearts and bring us back to the Lord or break our hearts and bring us to the Lord if we've never known Him. Our hearts will grow colder. And so He did not overlook the sin of His people or play down their wicked hearts. But at the same time, he didn't play the judgmental card without concern. And there is a balance in there, and it's hard to balance ourselves sometimes, isn't it? I mean, we see what's going on. We know it's wrong, and it's crooked, and it's, and it's being accepted, and everything else. And, and we just get aggravated. We get upset. I know I do. You may not, but I'm one of those that struggle with that. And there's that in-between where I've got to be true to, to, uh, to what is wrong. There's sin there, but I've also got to be brokenhearted and remember, but by the grace of God, I would be one of them. But by the grace of God, I would be in their condition. But by the grace of God, I would be facing judgment for all eternity And listen here very carefully. All eternity without Christ means that you're separated and you're going to experience hell. Something like you never could imagine or experience here on earth. With all the suffering and pain that you go through. You will be experiencing it for all eternity. Not because of God. Not because of him not caring. Not because of him not loving you, but because of you choosing to go that way. 
and refusing to accept him, believe in him, or whatever it might be. That is for all eternity. No second chances then. No other opportunities. This is why it ought to break our hearts. Knowing that they're going to experience this. Imagine the worst thing possible. And then just multiply it by the infinite. And it's going to be that way. Here we see that he didn't play the judgment card. There was concern. He declared that he still cared for them. And he grieved on their behalf because of the judgment coming. Jerusalem means city of peace. And it's often called the holy city. But over centuries it had become the city of violence and unholiness. And in the book of Revelation it's called the great city which mystically is called Sodom and Egypt. Sodom representing moral perversions and Egypt representing pagan religion. The city of God had become really the city of Satan in many ways. The description of the city Jesus uses concerning this holy city personifies the whole of the nation. He says, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. Using uh, Jerusalem as a representative of Israel, the Lord again reminded the people of their rebellion against him. Manifested in their killing the prophets and stoning the other messengers who are sent here. And the verbs kills and stones are in a tense that's present. So what he's saying there, emphasizing is that the action is still going on. It's in your hearts. You may not have done it outwardly yet, but it's in your hearts. And we know that once a church is birthed, that it continues on. Not only is Christ crucified, but we see that the apostles are are, uh, killed, many of them martyred. And not only that, but we see later on, Many of the uh, ministers of the church and, and believers in the church have been martyred over the years. And it's going to continue on even through into the tribulation period when Israel once again at the end of the tribulation looks up and says, Blessed is the Lord who comes and recognizes that he is the Messiah and weeps over what they've done to him but yet repents and turns towards him. Yes, there will be even prophets during that time. People who are preaching the word. And so we see that the verbs there in the present tense, letting them know that it's continuing on. It's been going on. The ungodly killing the godly. Going all the way back to Abel, to Zechariah, all the way to Zechariah, to the Lord, and on into the future until the Lord comes back. I mean, it's it's described in the parable of the vineyard grower. Jesus described them as tenants who beat and killed the servants the owner sent to them and even killed the son, his son and heir, when he was sent or he came in Matthew chapter 21. You remember that parable? God's desire in verse 37 It was never God's ultimate plan and desire for his people to be punished. He's not someone who gets excited in punishing people just to punish them. He, in his plan and desire, wanted them to return to him in faithfulness and devotion. He says, how often I wanted to gather your children together the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings and you were unwilling. We're told that the Lord wanted to gather the Jews as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings for protection. 
he wanted which indicated his desire as also his willingness to do it if they would just come if they would just repent and so even though Jesus knew and had experienced their rebellion and their violence his desire was to protect them from what he knew was coming and what was that judgment and so in his grace and in his mercy he reached out to them the problem though was that the Jews were unwilling these leaders were unwilling and and many of the other Jews and so we see the same word that the Lord uses as willing as in the negative unwilling with them and uh, it, it expressed uh, the state of their heart he was willing for them to come they were unwilling for him and their desire to receive him and so in turn when a person rejects Christ it is never God's desire or his fault but always the person's choice who chooses not to come we need to be very careful as believers We've been given a wonderful privilege, but an opportunity. But with that wonderful privilege and opportunity to share the gospel, just like Israel to share the good news, comes responsibility. And if we don't live up to that part of it, and it's a great responsibility, then we will see many more never come to the Lord have that opportunity to because why do you think the church is here the church is here to get out the good news to live the light shine the light before others and if we refuse that then how in the world are they going to hear how in the world are they going to see so when we as a church live in rebellion and disobedience we fail to follow through with the responsibility that God has given us through that opportunity and that privilege this is why Israel they failed in the Old Testament now we are in the New Testament and in this dispensation and we have a responsibility what are we doing with it today the condemnation behold your house is being left to you desolate for I say to you from now on you shall not see me until you say blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord judgment was pronounced during the days of Isaiah the Lord reminded Israel of his great love and care for them calling out trying to bring them to him and keep them close to him he used the figure of the the grower who carefully planted and cultivated a, a a vineyard only to find that it produced worthless grapes and because of their unfaithfulness the Lord declares that he would remove their protective hedge that hedge around the vineyard break down the wall and lay it to waste in Isaiah 5 Jesus is telling Israel that much like what earlier happened that time of judgment with Israel now with Israel will be the same they will be left devastated and desolate Jesus had only a few earlier uh, days or days earlier referred uh, to the temple as his father's house and now he calls it your house referring to Israel behold your house is being left to you desolate and it was a, re a reference to God's glory and, and protected hand being withdrawn from Israel early in history 
God had warned Israel that if she would not obey to him, he said in Deuteronomy 28, to observe and do all his commandments and his statutes, then the curses would come upon her. And because she not only had forsaken God's commandments, but even his own son, now Israel would be left desolate. Subject to the unpredictable ways of an ungodly world that would mock her, despise her, and persecute her. I want to I share it just briefly before we come to these concluding remarks. And I'll come back to this in the end. There's basically three things that we can do as a church. Three things that Israel could do. Number one, we can live in isolation like the Pharisees tried to do and the Essenes and others. Number two, we can assimilate ourselves into the culture. Say, well, it doesn't hurt that much to compromise. I mean, hey, everybody else is doing it. Or, number three, we can assimilate into the culture to impact it for the kingdom. Judgment, Jesus leads with them, but it's with comfort, thank God. That's his mercy and grace. He says, for I say to you from now on, you shall not see me until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. He's saying, hey, this is it. I've given you all this chance. You're gone. Wait, not completely. Israel's not forgotten. This is what Paul uh, said and, and, uh, and wanted to comfort the uh, Jews in, in uh, Romans chapter 9 through 11. Chapters 9 through 11. This is what Jesus is saying here. He rejected them, yes, because they had rejected him. God no longer would be their God as far as them being his people, would they? Where they would be used. Now it would be the church. But were it not for Jesus' qualifying word until, for I say to you from now on you shall not see me until you say. If he had not used that word until, the whole Old Testament and New Testament would have radically been altered. But Jesus did not say unless making Israel's restoration only a possibility. He said, but until, making it a certainty. That word offered hope to them. They would not have their Messiah or God's promised kingdom until they called out, like he said, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And the expression from now on that he uh, mentions in here verifies that from the time of his departure on earth at the hands of this murderous generation the nation would not see the Messiah again until he comes and they repent and recognize him does that mean that some Jews cannot be saved today no that's not what I'm saying I'm saying they can be saved but they must place their faith in the Lord. But as far as a nation Israel turning their eyes upon the Lord, that will happen at the end of the tribulation. And so we see that Jesus let the people know what kind of Messiah God he, he was. That he had been sent out to die for their sins so that they could repent and turned to him. But they rejected him. Because they didn't want that kind of Messiah. And isn't that so true today. Even with the church. We try to make God out to be the God we want him to be. I mean what different. Are, I mean how different are we from, from the Pharisees. 
We try to make him into our bellhop type of God where he's got to answer certain prayers that we, uh, we offer up because, hey, we offered them up in faith. Isn't that what the Bible says? No. Well, he's got to change his mind. Well, if we pray hard enough, then he's going to answer them the way we want them. And a lot of us, we say, well, you know, we'll just live any old way we want to and expect God to bless us when we call upon him. And that's wrong also. This is what they were doing. So we need to be very careful about how we view God. Look at his word and look at its completeness and live by how he wants us to live. Not by what we think is best. And realize that there is always hope because the Lord said until. Until you say indicates that time when Jesus will reappear. Paul tells us that Israel has not permanently fallen away from God in Romans 11. They also, if they do not continue in unbelief, will be grafted in. For God is able to graft them in again. Now people, what is he talking about there? He's talking about Israel. I mean, it's plain and simple. For I do not want you, brethren, to be uninformed of this mystery. I know you don't understand everything about it. Lest you be wise in your own estimation. You keep on living the way that you think God ought to bless you by and, and uh, God ought to operate by and, and follow you with. That a partial hardening has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles. What is the fullness of the Gentiles? That is at the end of the tribulation when the Lord will deal with Israel once again. Until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, and thus all Israel will be saved. Israel at that time, those who believe, they see them, they see what they've, they've done, they see how they've rejected them, they see that they, they crucified him, they took part in that, then they will say, hey, we were wrong. He is the Messiah. And they will accept him. There is hope for a believing Israel. In that day there will be great joy when they see the Messiah and they repent of their sin. But great weeping realizing that he is the only one and they rejected that only one. So in closing, God in his mercy and grace expresses compassion as seen in his grief. He's not just a hard God who, who is indifferent to us. He's not that way at all. He's a just God that operates in mercy and grace. God is a God of judgment, but he is also a caring God who wishes none should perish. The church is to have the same compassion for those who reject Christ and blaspheme God. As I said earlier, that's not always easy, is it? It's not for me. It may be a lot easier for you, but it's not for me. I just get angry at times. But if I'm not careful, I get angry and forget about the compassion I should have for him. Praying for him and lifting him up and sharing with them and hoping that they come to know the Lord. And having compassion, let me emphasize this again, does not mean compromising and having acceptance of sin, nor does it imply that judgment from God on the unregenerate will be lessened or forgotten. God's judgment and their condemnation is set. But we must share with them, have compassion for them, and pray for them. So we live, we can live three different ways, people. 
as a church. We can live in isolation, try to find some hole to crawl into in some mountain way far away and be away from people. Now, we may feel like that at times. Wouldn't it be nice to get away from all of this? But you go someplace else and you soon find out that someplace else has it too. We can live in isolation. We can live in our basement. But you're not going to be truly isolated. We can assimilate. I just give up or, you know, maybe that is old-fashioned. Some of what the preacher preaches or the teacher teaches. It's not so bad. Everybody else is doing it. Or just begin to accept it and live with it and harden our hearts towards it. Or we can assimilate with the intent of impacting society. Like Daniel, as we've been studying him on Sunday night, like he did. I mean, people, he was taken away to another country. He wasn't in the same country. He was taken away and he was placed in the government there to work with them. Not be isolated from them. And hopefully to, they wanted him to compromise, but he didn't. I mean, Babylon, we didn't get into the history, but Babylon was not a nice empire. It had all kinds of immorality that they wanted the Israelites to compromise and blend into and accept. They even made fun of the Israelites a lot of times by taking their babies and throwing them down on the ground. Taking them away from them. Showing them that they were superior. And they had no use for their children. Unless their children grew up to be like them. They had to put up with this having thing, all their inheritance taken away from them and their land and everything else. Now what were they to do? Try to isolate themselves there? Well, that wouldn't help too much. Compromise? Well, they could have done that. Or they could have assimilated like Daniel did, stood firm and watched God work. An impact, and he did have an impact on each empire that came in and overtook Israel. What kind of impact are we having? Individually, let's start there. What kind of impact do we have on our children? What kind of impact do we have? On our nation. What kind of impact do we have on one another in the church? Our safe haven, so to speak. God wants us to have a, a positive impact. With each and every one that we come in contact with. Strong against sin but exemplify mercy and grace. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, this is not easy a lot of times. It's easy to be condemning in the sense of condemning the sin or even the sinner. Condemning the way that things are going. Seeing the wrong. And we should. But yet with that there needs to be that source of we would be there but by the grace of God we're not. And have that 
mercy and grace, that compassion in our hearts. And yes, be disturbed greatly over it. But yes, be disturbed greatly over the individual or the nation or whomever it might uh, consist of in knowing that they're going the wrong direction and praying for them, weeping over it. God, send us a burden upon our hearts, a true burden for lost people, lost society. God, a lost world. And help us sincerely believe in you by bringing it to you in prayer, being burdened over it so that we're brokenhearted and pray for these individuals that way. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand. God's dealing with your heart and your soul. Won't you come? candle of hope faith and now we come to peace once again from the passage of Isaiah we read for a child will be born to us a son will be given to us and the government will rest on his shoulders and his name will be called wonderful counselor mighty God eternal father prince of peace Aren't you glad that that peace has been brought to us through Jesus Christ and now we can be reconciled to God? Amen. That's the peace that brings about all other peace. Okay, any announcements to be made before we leave? The deacon's meeting at 5. Okay, deacon's meeting at 5. It's a virtual, isn't it? Okay. Or he will. Okay. Okay, so they'll be here. Okay. Anybody else? Okay. Let's go away rejoicing in the Lord. My wife, if you'll meet me in the back, we'll be back there to greet people. Okay. Do what? <laughs> Let's go.